Good morning. My name is uh, my name is Scott. I'm one of the pastors here at Pillar Jacks. Uh, it's so good to be with uh, with you all this morning. And uh, if you guys have your Bibles, uh, I would ask you to go ahead and start to turn to the book of Hebrews. I'll be running through the second half of chapter 10 this week. Uh, and we'll be starting in, in verse 19, running all the way to the end uh, in verse 39. If you happen to be using one of the provided Bibles, uh, you'll find the text starting on page 946, and it'll run through uh, to 947. I hope this morning, uh, especially as we're, we're entering into this Advent season, into the holiday season, uh, into celebration of the birth of our Savior, I hope that you start to truly listen to these songs that we are playing. Songs that we sing, as we will continue to sing throughout the service today. Songs that what most of the world would just uh, call another holiday tune, but for the Christian, they mean so much more. There's so much truth, there's so much meaning behind the one who, by his sacrifice, is making all things new. As we just sang, uh, nothing but the blood of Jesus, one of my favorite hymns. What has washed me white as snow? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. You will see this throughout the book of Hebrews and what was preached last week and entering into this, this week. It is that blood of Jesus Christ, the once and for all sacrifice. As we continue on in this preaching series in Hebrews, I want to remind us that it points us to Jesus as the great and final high priest, the perfect sacrifice who actually cleanses people from their sin once and for all, calling us to remain faithful in every situation, looking to Jesus who is superior in every way. I trust that you have been as blessed as I have going through this book, spending time and, and just studying this book of, of Hebrews. Today it might seem to the point of where we're getting a little repetitive, and that's fine. That's okay, because guess what? We're fallen, and we need to be reminded every week. That's why we do the Lord's Supper every week. We are sinful, fallen people. We need to come to the table with a heart of true repentance. As we read through this morning's text, I have a few questions that I want you to think through. In the face of opposition or when life gets challenging, do you turn to Christ? I'm not talking about they, I'm talking about you. When you find yourself in the midst of deep-rooted sin that you are lamenting over, do you turn to Christ? When you find yourself in the midst of a trial, when you are suffering and there seems to be no end to it, is your first inclination to turn to the better, everlasting possession, Jesus Christ. Think about those. So I'm going to bring them up again at the end. And as we go through this passage today, the main idea of today's passage is through Christ's sacrifice, confidently draw near to God with a heart of assurance. Through Christ's sacrifice, Confidently draw near to God with a heart of assurance. This main idea is going to drive from start to the finish this entire passage on here. I want you to remember too, as we're going into this, we have to always remember who the original audience was. Right? Primarily Hebrew Christians. However, at this point, 
because the author brings these warnings about in, in uh, the book of Hebrews as well. However, there's still those whose confidence is not in Christ, those who are fading, leaving some with the temptation to defect back to Judaism. Would you guys join with me in chapter 10, starting in verse 19? Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience, and our bodies washed with pure water, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, as all the more as you see the day drawing near. For if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the evidence of two or three witnesses. How much worse punishment do you think will be deserved by the one who has trampled underfoot the Son of God, has profaned the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified, and has outraged the Spirit of grace? For we know him who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. But recall the former days when, after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, and sometimes being partners with those so treated. For you had compassion on those in prison. You joyfully accepted the plundering of your property since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has great reward. For you have need of endurance so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. For yet a little while and the coming one will come and will not delay. But my righteous one shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed. But of those who have faith and preserve their souls. This is the word of God. Would you join me in prayer? Father, thank you so much for the powerful truths found in this text. Lord, you draw us and you draw your readers to the confidence that is found by the blood of Jesus Christ. The heart of full assurance that we can have in knowing that you have given us a way, that new and living way. So Lord, I pray today, I pray that everybody's ears would be turned on, Lord, that our hearts would be ready to receive, and our ultimately would be ready to respond to your word. Lord, I love you so much, and I thank you. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, throughout today's uh, sermon, there's going to be 
three truths uh, that I will um, exhort you with, as you will. Um, and the first truth being today from is what we see from verses 19 to 25. That first truth is confidently draw near to God, knowing that Christ has provided a better way. Confidently draw near to God, knowing that Christ has provided a better way. Let's look at the text. So what we just read was we need to, there's a therefore, right? We always have to draw from what was read before, meaning last week's sermon uh, that Eddie had preached on there. We've got to draw a little bit from the conclusion of last week's sermon, first half of Hebrews chapter 10. Christ's single sacrifice for sins has perfected for all time those who are being set apart. The author drew from the Old Testament scriptures as he has done since uh, the start of this uh, book in Hebrews. He draws this uh, last week from the prophet Jeremiah chapter 31 where he says, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. And because there is forgiveness of those, there is no longer an offering for sin. So therefore, right? Now we understand that therefore coming in verse 19, drawing from what I reminded us of last week, and as we look to today's passage, we have confidence because of that sacrifice, that once and for all sacrifice. We, as in the Hebrews here, they have all that they need now to confidently come into the presence of God because of the blood that was shed by Jesus. By His grace, they can now come boldly to Him. The author's use of imagery here again, with reference to the curtain that once was a barrier to man, Jonathan Gentry did a great job on expounding on that curtain because we know from Matthew 27, 51 as that curtain having been torn from top to bottom to, uh, into two pieces, giving man the necessary access to God and the confidence to enter the holy places. And the author is finally at a point where he's like, listen, remember when I said back in chapter 9, behind this the Holy Spirit indicates the way into the places not yet opened, as long as the first section, first section meaning where the uh, priests would perform their ritual duties, that place is still standing. Well, that first section is no longer necessary. Now we have access. We, meaning the author to the Hebrews here, access to God through the blood of Jesus Christ. There is a new and living way in which he has opened for us. He is the great high priest that now sits on the throne at the right hand of the Father. What is this new and living way, you ask? Well, Thomas asked that same question to Jesus, who's one of his disciples, back in the Gospel of John. Chapter 14, which we preached through the Gospel of John uh, right before the book of Judges. But again, we're prone to forget, so I'm going to remind us what it says. Jesus tells him, he says, or I'm sorry, Thomas asked the question, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Jesus responds, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. Because of this, because Jesus has provided himself as that way, they can draw near to God with a heart of full assurance of faith with hearts that have been sprinkled clean from an evil conscience, bodies washed with pure water. Consciences that are no longer marred with sin and left with just a feeling of guilt, 
but consciences that are driven by the Spirit with a desire to live in obedience. We see two more exhortations through the beginning text here, marked by let us. The first being, let us hold fast the confession. The second being, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. It's because God has reconciled his people through the blood of Christ. That the new desires of the heart are drawn toward loving God. You have that vertical relationship. And then next, loving God's people. That horizontal. Walking in love. Walking in faithfulness. Walking in obedience. Why? He says it at the end in verse 25. Because the day, that day, which we ought to be looking toward to, is drawing near. So what does this mean for us? Well, the one thing that I want you to recognize, and it was in the main idea of this text, is the author's use of draw near once again. We see it, we often talk about it, but do we actually desire to draw near to God? We, meaning Christians, I'm talking to Christians, are enabled to live this new and living way that the author is talking about. Confidence. Confidence not in the sense of, hey, I'm going to jump off this cliff on a bungee cord and I'm going to get within inches of my, my death. No, confidence to the, come into the presence of God. For Christ again has reconciled his people back to himself. He made a way for us to no longer be at enmity with God. But in right relationship with him. Drawing near to God is having a full heart of assurance. This is not words that I'm coming up with. He's saying this in the text right here. I'm just reiterating it. A heart of full assurance in the things that He has promised and been fulfilled through the eternal Son of God. Drawing near to God means living a life of constant repentance for the Christian. Not from a mind of guilt, but a heart and mind drawn to conviction and a conscience that is now guided by the Holy Spirit. Drawing near to God is daily denying yourself, taking up your cross, constantly being in your Bibles. You want to know how to renew your minds? God has a, uh, uh, revealed that to us through His Word. You look to Him for strength. Most things that have been mentioned here are done in our individual walks. We see from the text that God has called us to do this all in community as well. We see it here as well. He does not call us to be individual Christians, but to do this in community with one another. Uh, earlier this week, I was handed a, a small little book uh, this week called, uh, it was titled Meditations on Preaching. Very fitting for uh, really in my preparation this week as well. I like little books. Honestly, they're less intimidating. Uh, and with life circumstances right now, and I, I have enough books that I'm already in, I really appreciated the size of this. But I decided to go ahead and just take a gander into it. And, and uh, you know, as I said, I'll, I'll read the first page. And it read just like this. Every preaching service on the Sabbath is a feast spread by God. And to it, all are invited but not a great many come. And the excuses given are various. 
even professing Christians are found dodging behind excuses of one kind or another of which they ought to be ashamed. Excuses that would not keep them away from business or pleasure or anything that they really wanted to do. In God's providence, I read that. And I just happened to be preaching on this, uh, this week's passage. And in light of what verse 25 says, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see that day drawing near. Listen, life indeed has its circumstances. And there is not a one of us that is in here that would refer to, uh, uh, that, not would, that would not say that they are not in, busy in some sort of another. But I want you to take a second and seriously consider the spiritual implications of neglecting to gather with the saints. God has created us for fellowship and community. We should not be too quick to cut off the thing that we actually need. The thing that we actually need to be doing. The word that we actually need to hear. The people, the saints that we actually need to be around. If in fact we are going through something. Make it a priority and listen to what the author has wrote. The second truth for today that's found in verses 26 to 31. The second truth is the truly converted person does not treat sin casually. The truly converted person does not treat sin casually. The first section of the text was very encouraging. Don't don't forget it. Don't don't just throw it away for what we're about to head into because he's <laughs> he's going his way up here, and then all of a sudden he's going to be taking a nosedive down with another warning. Okay, that's not the end. I promise. This is the fourth warning that he has brought thus far uh, to the Hebrews, uh, the original audience, and, and to us here, I guess, as 21st century Christians. It, it, this is the second of the fourth warning against what would be considered apostasy. A complete and utter rejection of the Lord Jesus Christ. This passage at first glance seems like another lose your salvation passage because of your sins, similar to, well, what I had to preach on the last time actually, in chapter 6, verses 4 to 8. I want to set the stage and I want to remind us that is not what this is saying. And here is why. Because if we would have to assume if the Bible talks about uh, the ability to lose one's salvation elsewhere, again, that's, not, that's, that's just not the case. Philippians chapter 1, verse 6 reads, And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. And a second one just for reassurance, for the perseverance of the saints. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of his Father's hand. 
I hope this sets the stage and I hope this reassures you as Christians. But so, where is he going? Where's he going with this? As he plunges into this grave warning yet a second time, right? It's probably important. There's probably a reason he's doing it a second time because it's probably important. Let's gain some context here. Remember, I said in the beginning, the primary audience of this letter is Hebrew Christians. Those who once practiced Judaism and have since been converted to Christianity. However, he's still prompted with some type of concern with them, right? That there are those within the church who have yet to be truly converted, who have received the knowledge of the truth and are in danger of defecting and going back to Judaism. So those who have received the knowledge of truth up here but have never truly been converted here. There are also those who are likely, based off of what we read at the end of the text today, in the remaining verses, 32 to 39, those who are also shrinking back, those who may be drifting, those who may be neglecting, right? So the warning the author is once again giving, and to whom, is that he is referring to. So he's referring to apostates continue in their sins, remain in a state of spiritual deadness, the first to quickly turn when things actually get hard. The kind of person who never took root, the kind of person who at the first sign of struggle was snatched away. As an example, whether you've read Pilgrim's Progress, the adult version, Pilgrim's Progress, the children's version, Christian comes along, two people, he meets two people named Obstinate and Pliable. This would be referring to that person, Pliable, who is walking along with Christian, and as they're walking along, they fall into this muddy, murky mire called the Swamp of Despondence. While there's somebody there named Evangelist to grab Christian out, and the first time that Pliable gets out, he's like, I'm done. I can't handle this anymore. And he runs straight back to the city of destruction. With that in mind, that's who he's talking about here. Those who have never again actually taken root. Look at the language that he uses in this text. Deliberate sinning. Or another way to say it is willful sinning. He says, no longer a sacrifice remains for sins similar in nature to what he said in chapter 6, verse 6, about re-crucifying once again the Son of God to their own harm and holding him up to contempt. He draws, as he gets into... Uh, talking from the Old Testament covenant or the Old Testament scriptures on there, what he's trying to paint is this this lesser means of punishment to a greater means. So the lesser, if you could uh, really call it that, was the old covenant punishment with the penalty for blaspheming God under the evidence of two or three witnesses, which resulted in death. Under the evidence of two or three witnesses resulted in death. The greater, though where he's bringing us up to speed now, is the greater, which is found in the new covenant, which has been restored through Christ, has even greater punishment. Punishment 
for those who willfully reject it. He says, how much worse punishment do you think will be deserved by the one? Now pay attention here in this text too, because he gives three specific things that defiance to the new covenant brings. He says, the first, this person has trampled underfoot the Son of God. This person has trampled underfoot the Son of God. Second, this person has profaned the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified. And third, this person has outraged the spirit of grace. He goes on, he quotes from the Old Testament, from Deuteronomy, uh, verses 36, 35 and 36, says, Vengeance is mine, meaning God's. I will repay and again, he says, the Lord will judge his people. Again, ending this section with a powerful statement in verse 31. It says, it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. The living God is a God who is rich in mercy and a God of judgment. A consuming fire. Consuming fire, as the author would then refer to him in chapter 12, meaning in Hebrews and he wants the Hebrews to remember that Christ, again, is that once and for all sacrifice. That this sacrifice cannot be repeated again. It is done, and it is sufficient for all sins of all time. Rejecting Christ's sacrifice, sacrifice which is the only means of salvation, leaves only final judgment. Now, if we draw this to application to today. We know by this warning, and I you know, have hopefully given enough context on there to who he's actually talking to. I mean, this, this is powerful. This really is. This fourth warning passage again. And second one dealing with willfully rejecting the faith. It needs to be carefully thought about. And I think it helpful to place what he's talking about in three categories of people. Perhaps you sitting here today falls into one of these categories. First one being you are a Christian who is actively living in obedience to God, actively repenting of your sins, turning to holiness over darkness. Second person, you are a Christian or you call yourself a Christian who is attempting to live in both worlds. What do I mean by both worlds? Well, you say and do everything that a Christian does. But like the text tells us, you go on sinning deliberately. You are re-crucifying the Son of God. And when you're sin, your conscience is full of guilt rather than conviction. The, con the kind of conviction that would lead the renewed heart, the truly redeemed person, to repentance in and through Christ. Perhaps you're this third person. Maybe you're an unbeliever. Maybe you have not professed Christ as Lord and Savior. I would, I would plead with you. Repent turn from your ways and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. I'd like to hold our place here in Hebrews 10 
And if you would, please turn with me to uh, 1 John chapter 3, verse 4. Where I believe John captures everything that was just talked about very well. I'll give you guys a moment to turn there. One John chapter three, starting in verse four. Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. You know that he appeared in order to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous, as he is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning, because he has been born of God. By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. Well, in this section there, you guys can go ahead and turn back to Hebrews chapter 10. Now that we have nosedived down, the author brings his readers back up on the ascent, right? After that warning and after that severe admonition. So if we end today's sermon with, uh, I'm sorry, going through today's text in verses 32 through 39, we find one third, a third and final truth. Confidently endure suffering while faithfully abiding in Christ. Confidently endure suffering while faithfully abiding in Christ. Again, the way we were headed and the way we plummeted, the author's bringing us back up on the ascent with an encouraging word. So you might ask yourselves, what's the purpose behind all of this? Why does he keep scorning them? Well, looking into this last section of text, it would be one thing to leave the audience hanging, right? And it would be one thing to to let you guys, let me keep you guys hanging as well from what we just read. But he doesn't do that. In fact, he brings them back with a note of encouragement. He doesn't leave them hanging. In fact, he starts out with a reminder to recall or remember the former days. When you came from darkness into the light. And for them it was from their conversion from, from Judaism to Christianity. For them to go from a life once lived in Judaism to now professing Christ as Lord and Savior... That's a big deal in the context of that time. Not that it's not a big deal for anyone professing Christ and Lord and Savior today. This original audience, they had to endure, right? And if likely continuing to endure a great deal of ridicule for their conversion from Judaism to Christianity. So much so that they are having to endure actual suffering and persecution for the sake of Christ. Not only were they ridiculed for their faith, but they were publicly ridiculed for everybody to see. 
exposed. Now, I do not know if any of you have ever experienced public exposure for anything. Maybe public embarrassment, let alone your faith for Jesus Christ. But I can't imagine the emotion, the feeling that they have in that public ridicule, all in the name of Jesus Christ. I imagine it would be quite difficult in such opposition to stand firmly grounded in the face of this suffering. But he reminds them that even in the midst of all you've endured, you, meaning them, the Hebrews, had compassion on those who were experiencing those same types of suffering. You had compassion for those who were sharing in that same type of suffering. You're able to show support to those who are in prison for their faith. He goes on to remind them they had joy during that. There was joy in the midst of that suffering. Even in the loss of what he refers to in here as their property and all their possessions. Because they knew, they knew they had a better possession because of Jesus Christ. One that has heavenly wealth rather than the temporal earthly wealth that God allows us to have. The author then draws them back again. Just like he started into today's passage in verse 19 and 20, he reads, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way they had opened for us through the curtain. Verse, remind, verse 35 is a reminder to them. He says, don't throw away that confidence. Don't throw away that confidence in what you have. That's great reward. That great reward so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. This emphasizes one of the central themes of the book. Found actually in the end of this book. The God of peace may equip you with everything good that you may do His will, working in us that which is pleasing in His sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Promise of eternal inheritance, the call to not shrink back or defect from the faith, to continue in sin, or to, but to confidently draw near to God and be of those who have faith and preserve their souls. <laughs> Calls them to determination, confidence, and perseverance. One of the questions in the beginning I sought to challenge us with was, when you find yourself in the midst of a trial or suffering, is your first inclination to turn to the better, everlasting possession, Jesus Christ. I, mean, I honestly venture to say most of us in here, uh, that's probably not our first inclination in the midst of opposition or suffering. When trials and suffering enter into your life, they will if they haven't, not to crash your, your party or anything, because we live in a fallen world, a broken world, we often want to look at the worldly things that can help to comfort us, right? Phones, TV, even people. Like our first inclination is always to, to run into the arms of somebody else. We shrink back into what we used to know. Just like he's concerned with these Hebrew Christians or even those who are on the verge of conversion. 
going back to what we know, and we turn to something other than the Lord Jesus Christ. Like the author draws his readers to remember the former days, the time when they were walking in the, the direction of destruction towards hell, and by God's grace, they had been redeemed. Today's text was an exhortation to the original readers to have confidence in the one who has reconciled God's people back to himself. The one who tells his disciples to abide in him, and he will abide in us. Jesus Christ, who is the better possession, an abiding possession. A little bit about my past experience with, with trials and suffering. Never have been... Most of those trials and suffering have been really physical to me personally. But I've had to watch those closest to me go through pain. I've had to watch people die. I've had to watch people go through cancer after cancer. And we continuously deal with uh, this new area of epilepsy with our youngest daughter. I want to tell you, in those moments, you have to turn to Christ. To tie it in a little bit from the beginning section of this and, and why we do this together as the saints and why we gather together, I will tell you why. Because every time something has happened in my life, any time that Satan wants to pull me away from the truth of Jesus Christ, there has been a brother in my life that has said, hey, look, no matter what is going on, you have to. To look to Christ. He is sufficient. He is the perfecter of our faith. There is nothing else that will fulfill you. Even in the midst of a trial. Not my wife, not my children. Jesus Christ. I exhort you again. Confidently draw near to God. With a heart of assurance. And if you have not placed your faith in Jesus Christ, today is that day. The warning was heard. Look to Him. Repent and believe. If you don't know what that looks like, I would love to talk about it. Anybody in here who is a member would love to talk about that. But please, look to Christ, again, who is our better and abiding position. I love you guys, and I, would you please join me in prayer? Father, the truths of this text are powerful. And whether our ears were turned on to hear, whether our hearts were ready to receive it or not, it was spoken. So Lord, I pray that we would respond rightly, that we would turn to you in the midst of trial and suffering, that we would have confidence in those times of trial and suffering. Lord, that we would constantly be repenting of our sins, turning to you for the hope that we have found. God, I just pray for our time and our response and singing, and I pray that we would listen well to the songs. The one song that we're about to sing is, All Glory Be to Christ. That's all glory, not just a little.
God, I love you so much. In Jesus' name, amen. As the musicians come back up and we begin to continue on in song, I pray that you guys would take time to reflect on uh, what was just read and through God's word and uh, what was preached today. So, love you guys. Thank you.